Welcome back to episode number 26 of the MP Dude. This is Jeff the MP Dude with a special Sunday edition. Um, today I wanted to just uh, hit a couple topics of things that are just kind of rattling around. And and um, the first thing again, I want to thank you guys because I, I, my, my daily download still is going up. And I, I just broke 400 likes on Facebook and I've got another 15 or 20 um, followers that are in addition to that. So within, you know, five and a half weeks of doing this, that's pretty impressive. You know, I, that's my opinion. And if I, if I can hit, you know, an average of 200 to 250 daily downloads within a month, that's pretty impressive. Um, so you guys are spreading the word and I'm getting a lot of people listening and getting some feedback and, and, um, I'm get, getting great information out there from from other people saying, "Nope, yeah, this, this is kind of where you want to change your change your mindset," or and just in in question and answer on the on on the Facebook pages. So it's been really really helpful for me. So I appreciate that, and I appreciate you guys getting the word out there. Um, one of the things that I, I wanted to talk about today was something that kind of came up, and I didn't even know it was out there as an issue. Um, but I, I saw somebody ask a question about. Why can't we sue as a class action of nurse practitioners against, at least in the collaborative states, against the state board or someone um, for not allowing us to um, practice with full practice authority because we are forced to pay a collaborative or be you know put in a situation where we would have otherwise. Um, not been able to practice that way, right? So that's the, that's the basic gist. And I made a comment back, and I said, you know, I don't think you can do that. I just I don't know of a good claim or a cause of action. And they said, well, they did it in the dentist uh, world, and it was um, I think it was a South Carolina case. Let me pull it up. I got it on my phone. Sorry, North Carolina Board of Dental Examiners versus the the Federal Trade Commission or the FTC, and the the case I was like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that that they did that, and and they said, well, they did it there. We should be able to do it too. And I and um, I'm like, well, I got to read this now. So I, I went and looked up the case, and I went to the Supreme Court website because I went all the way up to the United States Supreme Court. But here's the thing: when when and this is worth talking about, and and especially in if you're involved in regulations or pushing for new changes in regulations to understand how the government works. Um, and this, I'm not going to go back to basic civics and go through that, but at least with respect to a Supreme court case, a Supreme court ruling or, or the Supreme court in general will not hear a case unless it is a constitutional claim or a constitutional claim. That's all that they do. They don't hear facts. They don't give a crap about the facts. All they care about is, was a constitutional violation done? That's all the United States Supreme Court does, should do. Let me re rephrase it that way. And a lot of times they don't. A lot of times they legislate from the bench. You hear the the pundits on, on uh, all the, the news media say that. Well, that's the concern is that they're going to legislate from the bench. Like uh, abortion is legislation from the judicial. And it shouldn't be done that way. And it, do, it gets done all the time that way. So that's that's a problem. But the Supreme Court should not be listening to really anything other than just constitutional claims. So in this instance, what? why did it get to the Supreme Court? Well, if you go back, and I, I read one of the amicus briefs because 
there was an amicus brief. An amicus brief is just it's a group of people that could be affected by an outcome in a in a case can file an amicus brief describing how it's important to them, and it's not. It's not intended to be entered in as you know evidence to the case, but it's things that the the court should be aware of when they make their their um, their decision because they know that they're going to get hammered from other groups if they do it poorly. So they want to know all the facts of the case as far as who is this going to affect, not necessarily the specific facts like Joe got you know punched in the face, not those kind of facts, but what's the outcome going to going to really be and am I going to have to deal with this for 10 more years of people filing um, petitions to be heard in, in, in federal court all the way through the Supreme Court? And if they can swat that down before it becomes an issue, that's what that's for. So the amicus brief is a good place to get the, the big picture. You know, this is why it matters review. So I saw that there was an amicus brief. I'm like, ooh, I'm going to read that one because that's just a nice, easy way to find out what's going on. And I read the amicus brief, and what it, who it was from was basically the medical board, the um, veterinary boards, the DOs have their own board in some states. And um, so it was a whole bunch of these boards. None of them were nurse practitioners. And they all filed these, these – the, they compiled together their information, and they all agree that this is what how it would affect them. And then that document gets submitted on behalf of all those organizations. And in this amicus brief, it gives the, the facts – a little bit of the background of the case. And what it was was the, in, in North Carolina, the dentistry board was made up of all dentists. There was no one else on the board. And they specifically said in their rules – and regulations, which they were, I've talked about this in the past. This, this, the statute said that the board could make the rules and regulations. It was exactly what I've said in the past, and they defer it to the board. Well, the board made rules that precluded dental hygienists and other people that in other states normally could clean teeth. Whiten teeth was the definition that they were they were arguing about in the under in the lower courts. And the board basically, someone filed a claim with the Federal Trade Commission that it was an antitrust violation because only dentists in the state of North Carolina could clean teeth. Well, that's not how it is everywhere else. Everywhere else, you can have, you know, a, a dental hygienist scrape the barnacles off your teeth and, and instead of the dentist doing it. But the dentist did it, and it was done in a way that it was intended to drum up business only for the dentists in that way it was mandated and if you went to the dentist in North Carolina you were screwed you had to pay the dentist to do it and so someone filed a claim with the, the Federal Trade Commission and the Federal Trade Commission came back and said yeah you, you can't do that and they said you you at the board are now subject to civil penalties personally now when you work in a government setting and you are a legislator, if you're a police officer, if you are a lot of these, any government entity has what's called government immunity. In the course of them making decisions on behalf of, like, say a legislator makes a law that says you can't do something, well, they can't be sued civilly if that law causes you to lose money. There's immunity for that. You, they, that otherwise, no one would go into the government to do anything because they'd be afraid of making rules that would preclude them or that would cause them uh, civil liability later. Well, the FTC said, no, you have civil penalties now attached to this board for making these dumb rules. 
So what happened was it went through this through the federal courts as a constitutional claim that you violated my governmental immunity. It had nothing to do with with um, scope of practice. It had nothing else with that. It was all the the whole Supreme Court case was all about the governmental immunity and whether you can actually impose civil liability onto somebody that is acting in the form of a of government function. And the majority it, it said, yes, you can impose civil li liability, but that was thrown in the face of uh, forever. <laughs> that was like, that's like a landmark right now. That's like a complete reversal. And it was weird because you had um, Roberts and um, Sotomayor, which are like polar opposites on, on the bench. One's extremely Republican and conservative, and the other one is very Democrat and liberal. And they both dissented that opinion, said, no, 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 no. We don't want to open the floodgates for governmental immunity, civil penalties, and being able to pierce through that government immunity. So that's what that case was about. Now, how does that, how could we use that, right? Maybe we can. I don't know. I mean, but it, it just, it seems like it's a big stretch because at least in Ohio, we're not completely precluded like a dental hygienist was in North Carolina. It doesn't say that only only physicians can perform family practice functions. You can be a family practice nurse practitioner or a PA doing those functions. But we do have imposed limitations on what we do, right? But that's still somewhere in between. And and the the, the big constitutional argument that's used and frequently used is whether there was some kind of a nexus between or connection between the rule that they made and um, the the reason that they're saying they're doing it. So in this case, you could say, well, we're protecting the public and safety of the of people that, you know, they don't have the knowledge and skill that a physician would, you know, bullshit, right? But that's their argument is that we're protecting the public. And there's sufficient enough nexus or connection with that one that I don't think you're ever going to win a claim saying, well, there's no nexus. There's no connection between the limitations of us having to have a collaborative agreement and maybe a, a formulary and all this other stuff and the protection of the public good. I think any court in in America is going to say yeah there's plenty of connection there it just it's enough even if it is bs you only need a slight little thread of a connection it doesn't have to be this big strong thing holding it together and some of the cases when i was in law school i remember were like really that's the nexus and they said yep that's good enough and it's like wow that's that's pretty remote but the courts are the courts tend to keep the ability for the legislature to make the rules that they want to make. And in this case, the legislator, legislature in North Carolina deferred right to the board. But again, it was it's kind of the exact opposite in this case, right? So here we have someone that's completely precluding someone, and it was done for nefarious purposes of drumming up business for themselves. Here, they're not really drumming up business for the collaborative. They're doing it more to oppress us. Right. So it's not like they're drumming up. Now, if there was a medical medical, it was all um, medical doctors and DOs on the, the the board of nursing. And they said, no, you can't do any of these things. Uh, you can't do dermatology or you can't do oncology or you can't because you need to have a physician do it. And only a physician's competent to do that. Then maybe we would have an argument for those specific instances. But here we're not. We don't have that. It's just a limitation. And guess what? As Americans, even though we are the land of the free, we have a billion limitations on everything we do. And they're all perfectly legal. Whether we, we like it or not, that's kind of what we have. So I'm not sure how we could use this case for uh, a class action suit. It's a great, it's a great 
mental exercise. And, and I'm glad somebody pointed it out to me because at least now I know about it. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it can be used down the line as things open up a little bit, but I, I don't think that's the way we're going to go. I think that in Ohio, and I've, I've been, I, I kind of have a little bit of back background on where we may be heading, but I think that mental health is going to be the opening, um, is going to be the, 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 uh, tool that's used to open us up to full practice authority. I think that the, the number of mental health practitioners in Ohio is so low and the need is so high that they'll be willing to say, well, we'll, we'll give you that one. And then people will start saying, oh, well, I go straight to that person. They don't have a collaborative. Why can't I just go see my family nurse practitioner without a collaborative? And so it's going to be a while, but if they're going down that road, it's a two year process. So if they're, if that's what the, the, the lobbyists in Ohio were shooting for OAAPN being one of them, then uh, we're we're putting ourselves, you know, at least a year and a half behind before we even go to the next level. And and I don't think that they're going to do two of them at one time for full practice. I don't think they'll do them parallel, like full practice for everybody and full practice just for mental health. They could do that and do two competing bills, but. <clears throat> I think that gives the ammunition to get them both shot down. So I think there's a fear from that too. So it's an interesting exercise in thought, and and I appreciate the comment. So I hope you guys like getting into the nitty gritty every now and then on some of these legal things because I find them interesting and uh, I like talking about them. So those are those are always interesting to read and and, and uh, at least give my two cents on it because I think I have a little clout to be able to do that. Now, one of the other things that I, I still keep seeing people talking about non-competes and I keep putting my thing on there and it's just like, everybody says, no, don't do it. No, don't do it. And I know some of you guys are going to listen to this and you're going to be like, no, I wouldn't do it. Well, that's fine for you, but it really, really depends. It depends on where you are in the country. It depends a lot about where, um, you know, what's the limitation? What's the, it's, what's the scope of the limitation? Is it purely mileage or is it by practice? Is it both? Is it radius? Is it diameter? Is it, you know, it just, it, so it really depends, right? And so when I see people say, oh, no, don't do it. Never, ever, ever. I've never had one. Well, that's fine. But, you know, as a new grad coming out with, with a ton more nurse practitioner competition out there, you know, you're going to start losing the negotiation power. And I really just I'm, – I'm fearful for those people that say no to a good job um, only because of that. And so it just keep that in mind. It's, it really depends. And, and, you know, if you're concerned about it, you always check with the lawyer in, in your state. And I'm seeing people saying, no, you can get it get stricken and all this stuff. And, and, and I'm like, yeah, but why would you want to go through the battle? Even if, even if the law says it's, it's illegal or unenforceable for a restriction above this mileage or to go outside of this scope of whatever it is, whatever your laws in your state may have. And most of them don't have that. Most of them don't follow a blue pencil test or a limitations test. Most states say, if you agreed to it, you agreed to it. So keep that in mind too, that you know, even if the state says, yeah, there's limitations that we can put on it and you sign the contract and you're like, oh, well, I'll just fight it later. Well, that's a pain in the ass. What a headache, right? Do you really want to get sued over it and have to pay a lawyer for it and have to go through discovery? And even if you get a summary judgment, why would you want to go through that? So the the bigger thing is, is let them have that one, negotiate higher on something else. Or you know what? Find out where the other practices are, pull it two miles in from where those other practices are and just say, yeah, I'll agree to that. And that's it. I'll, I'll give you your non-compete as a bone, but it's not going to hurt me. 
So you have to do the research, and, and it really, really depends. And I just I keep telling people that, but everybody just says, no, you don't want to do it. Never. Don't do it. And I was like, well, it's not going to compete if it's 10 miles. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm working 55 miles from where I, where I live. I, I could probably find a dozen other jobs, you know, two or three years from now that are right next door to where I live and will not violate any non-compete. So you have to look at the facts. So don't freak out about it. <laughs> Non-competes aren't that scary. You guys freak out too easy about them. But do you want one? No. I mean, ideally, I'd never have one. But do I really care? I don't know. It depends. It depends. That's the answer. Always say, it depends. I want everybody just to say, it depends on a Facebook thread when they ask about a non-compete. One of the other ones, I got an email from somebody. It came through... Um, Facebook note and uh, came to me and it was an interesting one because it was someone that had signed a contract. We're talking contracts more, right? Right. Everybody has contract issues and, and, and I think that's cool. I want to branch out and do other stuff, but man, you guys have a lot of contract questions, so I'm okay with it. Um, and, and it's what I know, so I'm good with that. But the contract question was this. They got a piece of paper emailed to them. A document came to them. They looked at it, and they said, yeah, that's a good deal. I like this deal. I'm okay with this deal. And they signed it and sent it back to the, to the employer. And uh, subsequently, and I'm not going to say anything else about who it is or more specific circumstances because there was a lot of numbers and there was a lot of days off and a lot of stuff like that. And I'm not going to get into those and possibly uh, breach some trust with that. But here was the issue, right? It was, it was uh, she sent it back and uh, then they wanted to change the deal on her. And it was like, uh, and it was not for the better, right? She, she was clearly going to get screwed on this deal. And the question I have is, did they sign the agreement? And it has to be somebody that, that is an officer or a, uh, that has the scope of employment able, and I've talked scope of employment, so go back and listen to the other episodes, if they had scope of employment to be able to sign on behalf of the company. So say, here's, here's the situation. You get your piece of paper that's you know in an email, and then you're like, man, I love this is a great deal. I'm excited. Everybody's happy. You sign the paper. You email it, scan it, and email it back to them, and then uh, you don't hear anything back. Well, that what what you just did is cons considered an offer in contract terms. You didn't sign the contract; you signed an offer. If one party signs the agreement, that is an offer, and then you send it to the other person, and then you say, "Please sign this," and then we will have our contract. But both people have to agree. If one party signs, and the other party doesn't sign, it's an offer offer not enforceable so the question then becomes can they back out of that deal well i don't know it depends did the other people sign it it depends that's the question always ask the question well it depends and answer it with the that's it that's it right there it depends so once you find out uh, whether they signed or not now here's the deal if you didn't get a copy of the signed agreement on their behalf and how do you know where that original that that original do, you know both people signed contract went right? If you don't have a copy of it, it could easily disappear. That's called spoliation of evidence, right? It spoils spoliation, and it's illegal. You're not allowed to do that, especially if you think that maybe there's going to be an impending lawsuit. That's a big deal. You can get like criminal charges and stuff, and big fines, and and it's a big deal. But how do you prove it? Proving spoliation of evidence is pretty darn difficult. Do you have the money to hire some expert technology guru to go back and pull all their their emails and sign things and backed up on their file folders? And it, was it even in that? Was it just signed and put in a paper file? I don't know, right? 
And, and if you get to that point, you guys have broken your relationship and no one's happy, right? If you've gotten to that point where you're getting an expert to go troll through their, their electronic files, that's a bad day. That's a bad day for everybody because it's expensive and it's not going to get you anywhere. It's going to cause headaches. So what's the advice on this one? I don't know. I find it right now. If you, if you gave an offer and you went to work and they never signed it, you are technically an employee at will. And it depends on your wage and hour loss uh, statutes in your state, but they're pretty much all the same. And basically, you're an at-will employee. Today is your interview for tomorrow. So if, if you uh, aren't doing good today, they can fire you tomorrow. So And it goes vice versa. They, they don't treat you well today. You can leave tomorrow. Now, you have to follow the company handbook if you signed it, which you probably did. So you still have to follow, you know, I will give, you know, four weeks termination notice if that's in there or six weeks or whatever it is. But if the contract was never signed on their behalf and they can't produce it to you, then the contract doesn't exist. You don't have to abide by it. So guess what? All those, you know, um, uh, if there was any restrictions on your termination, like you have to give four months notice or some ridiculous number, then you don't have to do that no more because the contract doesn't exist. Yay for you, right? You can just leave. Um, and same thing with uh, non-compete clauses. They don't apply to you because the contract doesn't exist. So I think that this might be a silver lining for this circumstance because if they're clearly that willing to treat you like crap and drop that and try to back out of a deal that they may think still exists – I would ask them to produce the signed agreement that was dated from when you signed it and have a copy of that. That's the, that's the key to the whole situation is get a copy of that sucker and keep it on file. And I encourage anybody that has a contract, and I just bugged my, my manager the other day and said, I need the signed copies for my files. And they're like, oh, why? Nobody else gets them. I said, because I'm an attorney and I want them. <laughs> and she laughed and we laughed and it was fine. And she got them to me and it was everything's wonderful. So, uh, you know, get your signed agreements. Make sure they're signed by both parties because if somebody's trying to pull one over on you and say, and they could use it against you later and say, yeah, we don't need you here anymore. Uh, by the way, we never signed your agreement and we want to dro drop your price in half or we're getting rid of whatever, you know, whatever benefits that you negotiated in your contract. They could come back and say, no, we're not doing that anymore. They'd be pretty crappy, but they, they could do it. So that's, that was another one that I thought was pretty interesting, and, and uh, I appreciated it. It was really lengthy, and it's one of those ooey-gooey, messy ones, and it's like, ooh, yeesh, you know, and you get into it, and it's like, man, this is, this is interesting, and, uh, you know, all the numbers and stuff. I, you know, I don't need all the numbers, guys. I need the big picture. I can tell you pretty, pretty much, you know, they're decreasing benefits is all I need to see. That's, it doesn't matter about weeks. doesn't matter about dollars. It's, if they're dropping benefits, that's, that's enough to know. Um, but you're welcome to give me the numbers just so I can have an order of magnitude of how bad they're screwing you. It's kind of interesting. I think that's probably enough for today, huh, guys? If it's a Sunday, it's kind of sunny. It's still cold, though, right? It's been cold out. Um, so enjoy the weather. Have a good weekend. Take a, take a break. Um, I got something cool that happened to me, though. This isn't really uh, nurse practitioner related, but it's kind of neat. I had a guy that I worked with as an engineer, um, and uh, he he worked on projects of mine as an instrumentation and controls engineer. And I don't know if he listens or not. I doubt he listens to the show. But um, he uh, went to work for Great Lakes Brewing Company as a controls engineer a while back. And uh, one of my other Facebook guys pointed to uh, a beer he was drinking and sent it was he was drinking at Great Lakes and he sent it to uh, 
the Great Lakes uh, Brewing Company Facebook page and was like, hey, uh, how about some love? And so I saw him post that and I talked to him on Facebook every now and then. And, you know, it's just through another group and stuff that I, I, I'm kind of into as a hobby. And uh, so my, I, I tagged my buddy on it and said, hey, how about some love for my, for my friend on Facebook? And so we're going up tomorrow and we're going hanging out and we're getting a tour of the brewery. How cool is that? <laughs> so it's amazing, like how small world kind of just the, the world can be and and uh, neat stuff. So I'm gonna do some ACM training for addiction and then go to a brewery and uh, get a tour. So thanks for, <laughs> thanks for that, John. If you're listening, I don't know if you are, but how cool is that? I'll see you in a day. It'll be fun. But that's all I got today, guys. I don't know. Just every now and then, I just like talking about stuff. And you guys are going to get to learn more about me, too. I got a lot of stuff on the side that I do that's just fun and other companies and things that I do. And um, so there's there's a lot of – I'm like uh, Shrek. I got a lot of, a lot of layers to the onion. Um, but thanks for listening, guys. I'm having a blast. So keep the comments and questions coming. Keep spreading the word on Facebook. Uh, like I said, we just broke the 400 mark on likes. Um, which I think is pretty cool. I mean, that's that's a lot of likes in a short period of time. So keep telling your friends, tell students, um, tell uh, coworkers, tell RNs that are thinking about going back to school, tell uh, anybody you want, anybody that's interested in just listening to some crazy guy rattle on about about stuff that he's seeing in this world, and tell everybody, right? Um, don't forget you can uh, catch me on iTunes as well, and you can always email me at jeff at the npdude.com. And uh, thanks again for listening, guys. Have a great rest of your weekend, and we'll talk soon.